0: he's in our hearts, and he's ruling and reigning from heaven. Amen. You may be seated. Our king said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He would send another, the Holy Spirit, to be with us. How many believe the Holy Spirit is with us? Amen. I'm going to ask that the ushers would bring forth the podium. I normally don't preach from the podium, but today I'm going to be going through an entire book of the Bible. Got to be flipping some pages today. As he keeps the title up, turn in your Bibles to Amos chapter 1. Amos chapter 1. When was the last time you were in church and heard a sermon from Amos? Most of us have probably not heard a sermon from Amos. But Amos is famous when it comes to some one-liners. Come on, somebody say, Amos is famous. Amen. Amen. Amos is famous when you hear some of these one-liners. Today's message coming from the prophets. Well, we got equality up in this place. Come on, let's give it up for our sister carrying this all the way up here. <laughs> Normally, it's the brothers. Does anybody know where my Bible's at? Can you see if they took it and put it back there or something? Somebody check my office as well. We kind of went into the overflow, missing my, my Biblos. Uh, Estudio Biblia means to study the Bible, right? How do you say Holy Bible? Santa Biblia? Santa Biblia, amen. I'm going to get a key. I'm going to toss a key out here to you, my brother. Can you catch that? Oh, oh, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Your hair caught it. I'm so sorry about that. Amos chapter 1. Are you guys a little disappointed I haven't memorized the Bible? I wish I could just be like, Amos chapter 1, and just start reading it off to you right now. I can do that with certain psalms of the Bible, Psalm chapter 1. Do not walk, uh, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinner. I thought the Bible was with the podium, though. That's why I thought I would all be up here. Is it in there? Let's give it up for TJ. Finding my Bible, which was exactly where I left it, and that was just an awkward three minutes in church. But dude, you saved the day. Thank you. You always got my back, bro. I pray I can be as good to you as you are to me as we serve the Lord together. Amen. Amos chapter 1, he's not famous as a book that we go to for sermons, but he's famous for one-liners that the New Testament authors took and gave to us as scripture. If you want to know how the New Testament authors looked at the Bible, the Old Testament was their scripture as inspiration was coming for the New Testament. If anybody ever tells you that the Christians did not have a Bible because they were writing it, they are forgetting the 39 books that came before. And the way that they honored it was by quoting from it. And so, as you hear some of those quotes today, I think you'll know where it came from. Amos is a nine chapter book, and I want to go through it all today, but not verse by verse. How many would be cool if I read it verse by verse? Because you can sit for a two hour movie, you can sit through a two hour sermon on, pre- on a book of Amos. Amen. We can do it. I have, I have done it before without people's permission. And they've looked at me crazy. I've gone through entire books. But today I'm going to do it not verse by verse, but in summary. Amos is at the same time of Isaiah. Isaiah is a much more famous prophet to us in the church. He's alive at that same time. Let's look at verse 1, and we can find out a little bit about him. Amos chapter 1 verse 1, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Atakia, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam son of Joash was king of Israel. Now if you notice there, he says there are two kings because at this point Israel has divided into two kingdoms. This is once again because of sin. They were supposed to be 12 tribes as one nation. Now they have 10 tribes in the nation of Israel and two tribes in the nation of Judah. And what is happening right here is God is giving both of them a word, but it's going to be mainly for Israel because Israel, as that 10-tribe nation, is about ready to get judged by Assyria. Then a few hundred years later, Judah is going to get judged with Benjamin as the northern tribe. They're going to get judged by Babylon. When we look to what Amos is saying here, there's going to be so much that I can bring into our time and our culture that I pray that you hear it. Somebody say, I have ears to hear. Amen. Let's keep going to verse 2. This is what he said, God said to him. The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up. The top of Carmel withers. That's not good news. How many know that's not good news? The Lord is roaring, and he's roaring judgment. The first lesson that we can get from the prophet Amos today is that God is still a judge. And we may not think about that often. We may think we're getting away from that reality. But we are no more getting away from him as a judge than we can get away from using his oxygen. We are on his planet, in his universe, having the function of his laws, and we will give an account to what we have done here and with the things he's given us. God's way, God's laws, God's universe. We go through this quite often in the church, and it sounds funny, but it's always good in repeating. How did the universe get here? The world tries to look at us foolishly, and they say it happened at a big bang. What do we ask them? Who banged it and what banged? Show me now, today, scientists, nothing producing something. Nothing can produce nothing every time. That's a fact. And something can produce something every time. That's a fact because you have to have a something to have another something. But it's also a fact that from nothing, nothing comes. So we either end up in an infinite regress of a bang that was a bang in a multiverse that was a bang that was a bang. And we just say, well, that just goes on for I don't know who knows how long. But we always have to ask the first question, what banged the first bang? What caused the first cause? What moved the first movement? And so we believe in God as the uncaused cause, the unmoved mover, the beginning. The Bible says, in the beginning, God. Everything we study in the universe came from God's beginning with us. God started matter, space, and time. He's the one that did that. He is out of matter, space, and time. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now we're here to figure it all out. We're here to learn about it and to study it, but don't we already presuppose that our minds function to understand the science that we're discovering or the things in science we're learning about? We're presupposing that our mind is functioning correctly, aren't we? We're presupposing that the future will be like the past, that if I boiled water at a certain temp yesterday, that I'm going to be able to boil that water today at that certain temp. Well, who's the one holding the dials in place? Who is the one holding the laws in place? This isn't just something Christians do to tie you up in knots. The famous atheist David Hume came up with this problem. He still remained an atheist, but he understood that he had a problem as an atheist. It's called the problem of induction. All science is based on inductive logic that if something repeats itself, that more than likely it will keep repeating itself. He then realized, I have no evidence that things will keep repeating themselves other than the past experiences. Therefore, I am stuck in the circular logic that I need the past to be true to count on the future, but I know neither of them to be true in a definite way. It's just a, a dog chasing its tail. I don't know if the past is true anymore. How do I know that? I can't go back and check it. I don't know if the past is going to follow me into the future. I can't go there and check it. I am taking the past being the past and the future being the future based on an assumption. That assumption is based within what? The illusion of my mind, chemicals? If all we are is molecules in motion, a brain full of chemicals, how can we make an assumption that we understand the past and we understand the future? Let me blow your mind with some philosophy. You could have been created two minutes ago with the food in your belly, some of us with a little bit of extra belly. And you have a memory of the past, but you've never been there, and you think you're going to the future, but the game is just in a loop right now. You say, Pastor, that messes with me. Just tell me about Noah and the ark again. No, I'm talking about a man hearing from God in a generation that thinks we're stupid from hearing from God. No, we're not the fools in this equation, my friends. We're not the foolish ones, starting with a God who speaks to people. So then they say to us, well, this is just a book written by men, and one of those men happened to be Amos. Yeah. Math books are written by men. Have you ever read those? One of them was called Sir Isaac Newton. He wrote some math. Does that mean it's wrong because he was a man? Who's supposed to write math? Monkeys? Who's supposed to write morals? Fish? Are we supposed to wait for finding Nemo? We find Nemo, then Nemo comes and tells us the morals of the universe? All that I know of is that human beings write stuff. So the question isn't whether or not who wrote the stuff. The question is whether or not what they are writing is true. So you don't have to believe Amos. In other words, you could be a contemporary of Amos, put yourself in those people's shoes, and you could listen to Amos say, I've heard from the Lord. Now what do you have to decide whether or not he heard from the Lord? How are you going to decide that? You're going to listen to what he has to say. You're going to compare it to the things you would know about God at that time. And I would assume many of you would know about the God of Genesis, Exodus, etc. If you don't, we can back up the conversation in our personal discipleship. These new deacons are ready to disciple you. But taking the prophet at his word for the sake of this conversation, he is speaking on behalf of the God of the Bible. That capital L-O-R-D signifies the Hebrew name Yohevahe, the sacred name of God, probably pronounced Yahweh. He is saying that God is upset and that God is roaring, and he's got some things to say. At this point, we need to dispel some of the problems that we as Christians have had with the prophets, and one of those problems is we think the God of the Old Testament is a big meaning, but Jesus in the, ba- in the manger is the nice one, sweet baby Jesus. I don't know about the Father God in the Old Testament. He's flooding people, destroying people, setting towns on fire, but sweet baby Jesus, that's my buddy, homeboy Jesus, that's my homeboy, homeboy Jesus. When it says the Lord spoke to him, who do you think that is? The landlord? That's Jesus. (laughs) Who do you think is there in the Old Testament appearing to the saints and speaking to the prophets? The Bible says in John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, has revealed him to us, and he is the closest to the Father. Now you say, are there two gods? No. Go to Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to teach you how we know this is Jesus There's always been one God revealed in multiple persons, separate persons and personalities, but unified in nature. Exodus chapter 33 teaches us about Moses and the experiences he was having with the triune God. In the Old Testament, it's a mystery that's concealed. In the New Testament, it's a mystery that is revealed. As we go to Exodus chapter 33, start around verse 10. It says that Moses, look at verse 11 rather, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend, all capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh would speak to Moses face to face as you do to a friend. Now go to verse 20, same chapter, same author, same person. Now Moses says, I want to see your glory. And then God says back to him in verse 20, but he said to him, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Well, hold on. Moses, are we contradicting ourselves here? Is this what uh, Bard Ehrman's been talking about when he says the Bible's been mistranslated? It says just in the first couple of verses of this chapter, Moses is hanging out with the Lord, all caps, Yahweh. And then the Lord now tells him, you can't see my face and even live. How many remember the mountain of transfiguration where Moses did a little boo with them there? How many know everybody saw Jesus. Who couldn't they see? The Father. Who is the one speaking face to face to Moses on the mountain? Who is the one that he can't see? The Father. Go to John 1:18 just so that you can see it as I quoted it. We understand that God has always been coming to us as Jesus the Son. In Genesis 18, it says that Jesus, the Lord, came with two angels to meet with Abraham. Then while he's there, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels leave, and there he's with Abraham face to face. And then in Genesis 19, the angels go to bring destruction, and it says the Lord rains down fire and brimstone from the Lord in heaven. Are there two lords, two gods? No. There are two persons using the name of Lord. One is the Father, one is the Son, And we learn about the Holy Spirit in other passages. The baptismal formula of the New Testament says baptize them in the name, singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That and of the is important to understand because they are separate in persons, but the name singular is important as well. One name, three persons, the name of God shared by the Father, Son, and Spirit. John revealing to us no one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son who is himself God in his closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So who has made known to us the nature of God? It is the Son. Now we see Jesus as he's walking on the earth that he starts to reveal his glory. Like I said in the mountain of transfiguration. But it's another time he, re- he reveals his glory but in his words. And the Jewish people didn't understand it. He's arguing with them. And they're not listening. And then you can see it's not nonchalantly, it's not that he lets it slip out, but he just does it casually. He goes, my goodness, you guys are stubborn. Your father Abraham was not like this at all when I hung out with him. How many remember that passage? Nobody? Go to John chapter 8. He says, man, you guys are stubborn. Your father Abraham wasn't like this. And they all looked at him going, man, you're not even but... 50 years old, man, how in the world did you hang out with Abraham? And he said back to him, before Abraham was, I am. The name Yahweh means I am. Ego am I in the Greek, Yahweh in the Hebrew. Find me that passage where he says I am. I I can't look for it right now. I want to keep preaching. They were looking at me like they didn't understand it. Jesus has always revealed himself by his father. He comes in the name of his father. Just Google it, my brother. Otherwise, we'll be scrolling for a while. Thank you. How many know we need prophet Google to help us out sometimes? I just looked at all the looks on your guys' faces, and you were like, my goodness. I never heard that conversation that Jesus had. John chapter 8, verse 57. You, oh, let's go up a little bit so everybody can see it. How many know you can trust the karaoke screen? Oh, it's quiet now. Go up a little bit more. Let's go up to where the heart of the argument is. There we go. Say 54. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me, though you do not know him. I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. How many think Jesus can be sassy? A lot of times people hear me be sassy, and they're like, you need to be more like Jesus. I'm like, which one? The one of the Bible? I think I'm doing pretty good. If you're talking about the one Oprah Winfrey prays to, I'm not anything like him. That's a demon appearing as Jesus. Are you listening? I'm being like this one. He said, if I do not say I know the Father, I'll be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey him. Your Father rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it. Genesis 18. Go to Genesis. Go to the other NIV. Go to the third one up top there. You hit in Genesis 18 because I like to teach. Amen? I don't want you to take my word for it. Genesis 18. This is where the Lord appears to Abraham. He not only rejoices; he was waiting to meet with the Lord. This is the first time he meets with him. Genesis eighteen, verse one. Let's read it together. One, two, three. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Praise God. Well, I thought Genesis. I thought John one, uh, verse eighteen says no one has ever seen God. I thought Exodus thirty-three says you can't see my face and live. And yet Jesus is talking to these Jews saying, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see me. He was waiting for me. He was prepared to meet with me. And when he saw me, he was excited. Go back to the the passage there in John 8, please. He was excited to see me. And when he saw me, he was glad. Now go on down here. You are not yet 50 years old. (laughs) They answered him. Have you seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born... I am. And then they said we're all going to fall down and worship you. No, they picked up stones to try to stone him. That's what they did. Because Jesus was preaching to them going back to the scripture of Amos today. Do I believe that the Lord speaks? Number one, yes, I do. And it's not a different Lord. It's the same Lord that has always been speaking. When you say, oh, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. That should scare the hell out of you because that's who's going to judge you. The one who roars like a lion has a sword coming out of his mouth. And in the book of Revelation, he judges 100 million and strikes them down to the blood is as high as a horse's head for over 100 miles. You'll read that when you read about the angels and all the other cool stuff there. But it's also in the book of Revelation, a river of blood the Jesus of the Bible will bring judgment upon this earth. Number two, oftentimes people say well only Jesus really deals harshly with the church or religious people you look at the Bible, he really lets everybody kind of get away with what they're doing as long as they're not religious. I've heard that all the time. Well I correct church people even it doesn't make sense because I'm like well you're a church person, you need to be corrected. But then sometimes worldly people bring it up like let me stay in my sin I'm not one of you guys, I get a free pass. In other words, I haven't joined the gym, why are you asking me if I lost weight? I haven't committed to Christianity, so why are you talking to me about it? Here we learn as we go through it, and you can just scroll as I mentioned these verses. Verse three talks about Damascus. Those are non-Israelites. Verse six talks about Gaza, Philistines, non-Israelites. Verse nine talks about Tyre. Those are Phoenicians, non-Israelites. Edomites in verse 10, Ammonites in verse uh, 13, chapter 2 verse 1, Moabites. God got a lot to say about people. Are you listening? God's not giving anybody a free pass. If you think this is just for religious people that come to church and we just kind of yell at each other and expect each other to do better and it only applies to us, no, this applies to everybody. He's got something to say about America. He's got something to say about Mexico, Puerto Rico. He's got something to say about the nations of Africa and Asia, Southeast Asia. Are you listening? God's got something to say about every nation. And what does that remind us of? Jesus in the book of Revelation going through his churches. Jesus has always been a judge, and Jesus is coming to judge the world. Amos is now teaching us this is not just about Israel and about Judah, because we see the, the two last ones here to get the corrections, but we understand this is about the world. Jesus is roaring. Somebody say he's a roaring lion. Amen. As you go to verse 3, you see the poetic nature of his rebuke. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. He uses that language now for all the places that he disciplines and all the places that he corrects. I wonder what God would say today if he says, for America's three sins and for the fourth one, I will not relent. What would he say next? He lists off here what they have done, that these are the sins that they do. They reject him. They do not keep his decrees. Come on, I wonder if he would be saying that same stuff to us. You've rejected my law. You don't listen to my decrees. You worship false gods. That's America right now. That's America right now. You don't keep the commands of God, America. You're not keeping his commands, and you're following false gods. Everyone worships something. Whether they call it the gods of sports and entertainment or their education or themselves, the gods of me, myself, and I, no different than Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. They are false gods. Me, myself, and I did not put you here, did not create you, is not sustaining you, holding you together, and keeping a sound mind within your body. You are here by the grace of God, and that God loves you and cares about you, and that God wants to do good, but he will judge if you're not doing what's right. Does everybody get that right here at the book of Amos? Maybe that's why Amos is not so famous in sermons. Maybe that's why they leave Amos alone. If you look for the encouragement, it's only at the end. Hang on, I'll get there for a few verses. But the reason why I'm talking about this today is because our nation is in a state of judgment as well. And though I would not claim that I am writing prophecy like Amos was today, I do believe I'm called to speak what the prophets are saying. Don't judge me, Joe. Don't don't judge me. Okay, I'm not judging you, but can I say what the judge said? If you were going to Judge Judy's show and I was sitting there in the waiting room, is it my job to judge you? You know, let's say you were there because you got drunk and you drove in your neighbor's yard and knocked over their gnomes and did a bunch of crazy stuff. Because you know on Judge Judy, it's always something crazy, you know. My neighbor got drunk, ran over everything, and that's why we're here today, Judge Judy. Let's say I was sitting next to you before you went on the show. Is it my job to make the judgment? And say, this one's wrong, this one's right, give the money, to this. is that my job? No. But if I have watched Judge Judy, could I tell you what she says about those situations? Well, if you're drunk, Judge Judy's going to get on you. If you drove your car into somebody's property, Judge Judy is going to get on you. Could I have the authority to tell you what Judge Judy said? Do I have to be a police officer to say, to say slow down, it's 35, but you're going 70 down these roads? Do I have to? Come on, somebody. You don't have to be a law enforcement or a judge to tell people what the law says. Do I have to be a prophet getting a direct download of God's word today to tell you what he's already told a prophet? No. All we got to do, saints, is tell the people what the prophets have said, and I do believe that God spoke to them. Go to chapter 2, verse 12. It says that they had Nazarites and priests, but look how they were treating them. But you make the Nazarites drink wine and command the prophets not to prophesy. These people were getting so wicked that they were now telling the prophets who were trying to do their job, they were taking the mic out their hands saying, stop prophesying. Entertain us. Do more plays and skits on Christmas and Easter so the priesters don't get offended. Do more conferences Stay online. Don't be on the front line. We'll tell you when you can preach, and we'll tell you what you can preach about. It's racism right now, Bubba, so stop talking about abortion, homosexuality, divorce. Just talk about what we want you to talk about. Thank you very much. Here's your hall pass. And then they told the Nazarites, who were definitely the holy ones of the bunch, and let me just say this. I ain't got no problems with you doing things that I don't do for Jesus. You want to go to another level? Keep going. I believe that you can drink alcohol in moderation as an adult. There are some people who say, I don't ever want to touch it. Well, go ahead and never touch it then, amen? You can watch movies and still go to heaven. I do. I don't watch the dirty ones. And if I watch the dirty ones, I make sure to have the editing software like VidAngel gets you some of that so you don't have to hear the cussing and the woman taking off her blouse. I don't need to see that. But you say, I don't want to watch any movies. That's awesome. But we live in a generation that says, we don't want you to be like that anymore. We've got a problem with the holy people of the church. We've got a problem with the people that have standards different than ours. Why? Because it makes us feel unworthy. What did Samson do? In Delilah's lap, in in her lap, he compromised. He was a Nazarite. See, those guys went to another level. You could drink in moderation. Jesus didn't make grape juice. He made wine. But Nazarite said, we don't drink wine. You could cut your hair and get a fade if you wanted to. But Nazarite said, we don't cut our hair. And what Delilah did out of her intimidation of a holy man of God and out of the uh, pleasing of all those men who kept getting beat up by Samson made Samson compromise to say, tell me what you do as a Nazarite, and I'm going to take that from you. And what they want to do is take away the holy ones from among us. Listen to me. Those of you who are called here to be dedicated to the Lord like that, we bless you in this place. You can fast three days a week. God's asked me to do it before. Do it and be blessed. Pray at 5 in the morning. Go hard for Jesus. But we live in a culture now where that's looked down upon. I was raised that way. Or you know what? These people think they're holier than thou. No, you know what they're doing? They're just dedicating their lives unto the Lord. We should not be intimidated nor restrict people going hard for Jesus or whatever they feel is right. But at this culture, at this time, they're making the Nazarites drink. Drink, defile yourself, break your commitment to God and be dirty just like us. And prophets, you stop prophesying. Just tell people stories on Sundays. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Thank you. We go to chapter 3, verse 3. Now we're going to see one of famous Amos' sayings. Do two walk together unless they agree to do so? Have you heard that before? How can you walk together unless you agree? Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You are who you hang around. Birds of like feathers flock together. Bad company corrupts good morals. These things come from Amos. God gave these revelations to this prophet. And praise God that we know it as a one-liner, but we need to know the context. See, the people of God at this time were saying, well, that's not who we really are. But yet they were holding hands with the devil, and the devil, uh, and Jesus calls them out and goes, you can't walk with the devil unless you agree with him. You're saying you agree with me. You say it by coming to church, and you say it by giving up your offerings. He's going to talk about that in a little bit. But your action shows you are walking together with the enemy, the other gods of different nations. Help us, Jesus. Look at what he said there in verse 7 of chapter 3. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. How many have heard that before? That's famous Amos right there. God speaks to his prophets. We live in a time where a lot of people have been prophesying, maybe hearing from God, maybe not. But here's the thing. I'm thankful for prophets in the land. Well, pastor, what if these prophets are wrong about Trump being reelected three months from now? Biden's, you know, a president. Well, these prophets were trying to hear from God. If they were wrong, they can work that out between them and God, but I will always believe God is speaking to prophets. But I'm believing God for a turnaround for this nation, amen? But I will say this, if Biden is our president a year from now, it's because of God's judgment, and we're getting the president we deserve. Plead for mercy so those days don't happen, because you think it's tough for Christians now. We will be losing our rights left and right. I know many of you didn't like Trump's character and conduct and all of that, and that's understandable. But at least he had common sense to be God-fearing. The Bible says you can be a God-fearer but not be saved. Now, some people think you say, that's not for me to decide. But you can be a God-fearer and not be saved. An example would be a God-fearer on your job if they cuss and they go, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't cuss with you. You know they're not saved, but at least they fear God. This man, as a president, took care of Israel, took care of the church, and guaranteed our rights. The next one coming in line cares not about Israel does not care about our rights as a church. And so we need to be careful. But here's what I can say. I can say this. Whatever happens, Jesus will be in control, and God will have his way in this nation. Amen? Continue on down into chapter 4. He calls out some women. You want to see what the Lord said about some women that weren't handling themselves right? Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Woo Jesus. You know, you radical if you call some women cows of Bashan. I don't care what culture you are in at what time period. You call a woman a cow, you have crossed the line. That's my Jesus. Somebody say that's my Jesus. Say that's not Oprah's Jesus. That's my Jesus. That's the Jesus of the Bible. He said, You cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor, crush the needy, and say to your husbands, Bring us some drinks. Sounds like the real housewives of New Jersey. Sounds like the real housewives of Orange County. God is looking at them. Come on, of Atlanta, of all over. And He's looking, He's saying, You cows of Bashan, you cows of Atlanta. All you want is to put more stuff in your lips to look like ducks, put more things in your, in your chest to look like others. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. You do all of this, and then you say to your husband, work so I can drink more. Work so I can have more. Come on. Things have changed but really remain the same, haven't they? I mean, we've changed the location. We're not in Bashan, but it's still the same. He's calling out these women. You don't care about the lives of the unborn. Every woman today should be up in arms for what is happening with the abortion genocide. But instead, they'll give me another drink. Give me another facial surgery. Just the money that we're wasting on plastic surgery, we could feed the poor of this nation. And yet these are the things that a lot of, not saying all, but a lot of women in our culture are marked with. And I'm sure if you asked outsiders who were, who were appearing into American culture via the entertainment, they would say, yeah, you all look like a bunch of cows of Bashan asking your husbands to get something to drink. But why are they out of order? Because the men are out of order. They're not doing what the Lord had asked them to do. So it starts with those men no longer being the Nazarites, no longer being the priests and the prophets of their homes, and now they're out of order, their families out of order, their children are out of order right here in the prophet's day. Once again, say, help us, Jesus. Amen. We go now to chapter 4, and God starts dealing with them. And saying, all these things are going wrong around you, but you don't return to me. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. I've withheld rain sometimes, but you don't care about it. I've withheld water, you don't care about it. Right here at verse 8, yet you have not returned to me. It's almost like God is saying, "I've, I've, I've shown you fires on the west coast. I've shown you hurricanes at the bottom coast. I've shown you calamity at the east coast. I've showed you all these things, what happens with life without me, and you don't even care. You're just going to binge the next show. You're just going to sit here and do the next thing. And once again, I don't believe God is setting a fire or God is whirling up a hurricane like this, but God is showing us from the beginning that sin is upon this earth and wickedness is here. And all he does is every now and then allow his hand of protection to come off an area, and we see just what happens. Why aren't there hurricanes every day? You ever seen Saturn and other nations? Why do we even have planets? Why do we even have oxygen here? It's a miracle that God sustains our universe in peace, as uh, our planet in peace as much as it is in peace. So when we see it not in peace, we're supposed to scratch our head for a second and go, "Man, maybe I'm not in control of all of this stuff." I mean, we can track it. We can go, "Well, there's a hurricane coming here, but we can't stop it," and then we can't do anything about all the things that are going on around us, and we just try to contain it. We try to contain it, but God is showing us you can't contain really the whole thing. You can't stop yourself from dying. You can't stop the earth from moving. You can't stop this what's coming. You should wake up, but you have not returned to me. He says it about three different times. He said it there in chapter 4, verse 8. He says it again there in verse 9. He says it in verse 10. He says it in verse 11. What is his point? His point is, I have reached out to you, but you have not come back to me. I have reached out to you, but you have not come back to me. In other words, I'm going to judge you, and you can't say it's my fault. Anyone who gets mad at God's judgment cannot blame it on God. God has given us every opportunity to avoid the calamities that we are facing right now. We look at the violence on our street, and I'm talking specifically now about our moral calamities. We look at the violence on our street, and we're wondering why our streets are so accursed this generation as they were in in comparison to other generations they weren't. It's because we have not returned to the Lord. We're supposed to see that teen suicide is a problem with us as parents being away from the Lord. We're supposed to see drug addiction and gang violence as a a punishment for us as adults being away from the Lord and not teaching our children that they were made in the image of God, but we tell them they came from the gooth of the zoo to you. Ta-da! Well, is it any surprise that they treat and act like animals? They treat themselves as animals without a conscience. Look at chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 4. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not go to Bethel. Somebody say, don't go to Bethel. Bethel Bethel's where they had church. Jesus is literally telling them, stop going to your churches. Your churches are whack. Your churches are weird, and they're not where they're supposed to be. And I don't want to get a pride here and say I'm the only ones, but sometimes, let's be honest, it feels like we're at least one of the only ones. I know we're not the only ones, praise God. He said to the prophet Elijah, you're not the only one. Get up, buttercup, suck it up. You're not the only one. Get up and do this thing. But oftentimes it does feel like that. But I want you to notice what Jesus says. Don't go to Bethel. Don't go to Gilgal. Don't go to the conference there at Bathsheba. You know why? Because Gilgal's gone into exile. Bethel's going to be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. And I believe God is saying to, the, uh, to America right now stop going to your conferences, stop going to K Love, stop going to this thing and that thing in the name of religion, the next bestseller, looking for something to scratch your religious itch. Seek Jesus, seek the Lord. The God of heaven and earth, seek him while he may be found. And you'll watch what he'll do in your life that no conference can do, no worship tape can do, no radio station can do. When you seek God, you will get what God can give. That's why, between you and I, and hold me accountable to this, I have now made a decision in my heart I will not go to any conference that is not for free, nor will I host one or promote one that is not for free. I'm done. I'm done. The church might have had a good reason at the beginning to say, well, we need some money to bring in a guest speaker. Let's do X, Y, and Z. We have to bring in the worship band, etc." you know, worship conference. But I, I can't go for it anymore. You have people so hurting and struggling. And then now I even see these dudes. I want to call them jokers. Let me just call them jokers. These jokers, these pimps behind the pulpit want to charge you to come to the online conference. Well, we can't do fire conference now, uh, you know, in person. So now $50 register for your Zoom code. This is where we've come to in our state, in the church. Before they had to say, well, we got to fly in so-and-so. Now so-and-so is in their pajamas. Well, we got to bless so-and-so. Well, so-and-so been blessed over and over again. When do they bless us? When do you ever hear a guest speaker come in and say, I want to bless you today with something? I want to give you something. I want to feed the congregation today something. I'm so tired of this, and this has given the church a bad reputation, that I'm out. I'm done. If the conference is not for free, I'm not coming to it. I'm not promoting it, and I don't want anyone here to think that I owe them anything to go to it. If they don't want to let you in for free, then don't come on in. Are you listening? Well, pastor, how are we going to pray for, uh, pay for it? Here's how you pay for it, the way you pay for everything else. You ask the people to give, and what they give, we do it. A church should have 1% to 3% of its budget to give to the outreaches and the conferences. We're going to be over 300000 this year because of your giving. Let's give it up for Jesus. Praise God. What is 1% to 3%? $3,000 to $9,000 in our budget should be available at any time to do outreaches, conferences, or whatever. Well, so-and-so won't come for $9,000, and we don't want so-and-so. And then if you wanted them that bad, why don't you just ask the people of God to give for a month before we come? Well, we're going to give, we're going to give so and so ten thousand dollars. Maybe they deserve it. I'm not here to judge what they're doing with it, you know, in that sense. But just ask the people to give so that when so and so comes, the doors will open for free. And then some people say, well, how are we going to have enough seats? The same app you use to take the registration money, you can put a zero for the ticket money, and they can still register. Isn't that amazing? We did that for our Jesus Matter events. You could register and not have to pay anymore. Wow, that's pretty pretty awesome. How did they do it before that? They fit them in until they couldn't fit them in anymore, and then they got a tent in the backyard or in the parking lot, and then when they couldn't fit them in there, they got out into the parks. I mean, come on, somebody. I would rather do that than charge you to come back through these doors. Amen? Amen. By God's grace. So he says this. Seek me and you'll find me. Now look at what else he goes on to say into chapter 5, verse 15. Hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Can you say that with me together? One, two, three. Hate evil, love good. One more time. Hate evil, love good. This is the message for today. We are to hate evil and love good. True love has to hate. I love my children. I hate anything to hurt them. If I love them without hate, then love could become wishy washy and a child molester would say, Thank you very much, I love them too. How, do you know, how, how many of you know many child molesters come in the name of love? I love children. They're sick and twisted, but they call it love, don't they? See, a part of the boundaries of good morals is to hate something. We love the sinner, hate the sin. You love me, but you hate my sin, right? I love you, but I hate your sin. I love my kids, but I hate their sin. I love them, but I don't love their attitudes all the time. I love that they're smart and wise, but I don't love their answers to the homeschool questions all the time. Are you listening to me? I love you, but I don't love everything you do. You love me, but you don't love everything that I do. It's very simple. And when things cross over into the realm of evil, we are to hate evil. I hate abortion. Abortion is wicked and evil, and it should be criminalized. No different than if I did it to the woman against her will. Well, you can kill my child. Okay, that's legal. I'm going to kill your child. That's illegal. Do you understand the stupidity of that? We hate the evil. What is the evil? The evil is killing a child. There's another evil. If I do it against her will, that's violating the will. There's two evils there, but there's still the one evil of murdering a child. Does everybody get that? We compound evils, and we now call them TV shows. We compound evils, and we call them reality shows. We compound evils, and we call it the newest superstar, you know, Cardi B. She is a conglomeration of evil, and it's not that Cardi B is that all by herself. This culture is the one who plates her lifestyle in gold. She is the idol that the culture lifts up and says, we want to be like her. Then somebody says, oh, yeah, but Beyonce's so different. Beyonce is probably just as bad, if not worse, because her witchcraft, her deception is more subtle. That's why I've always said, I'm not, more con- I'm not concerned about you following Marilyn Manson. I'm concerned about you following Oprah. And I've been saying that for a long time, so Oprah always takes a couple lickings in our service. But it's a good example, isn't it? Because at Marilyn Manson, everybody's like, first of all, who that is. That was a crazy, dis- you know, disgusting rock star back in the 90s and t- early 2000s. You know, would drink blood and just do crazy stuff. So I'm dating myself a little bit. I've been pastoring over 20 years. It's hard to come up with new material, okay? I don't know who the craziest rock star is now. Does anybody know who the craziest heavy metal rock star is? We'll stick with Marilyn Manson and keep moving. So I always say it's not Marilyn Manson I'm worried about. It's Oprah or Ellen. Why? Because Ellen and Oprah have a deception about them that is appealing. When you go to your friends that are living in sin, do they always come to you and go, oh, I'm living in sin, I'm going to hell No, they show you the pictures of what they're doing on their vacation to Cabo. They talk about the raise they just got. They talk about all the things that they're doing with their boyfriend or girlfriend, et cetera, et cetera. You see, that is deceiving. It makes us think that the pleasures of sin will go unjudged, unchecked. When we look at Marilyn Manson, we're like, oh, yeah, that's why there's a hell, man. You're going to it. You know, I'm serious because even when I preach and I I've, I've been in New Orleans where they have witchcraft and all these things and it's it's really outspoken there and I've been in arguments and different things and, and and you know, people love crowds and when I'm preaching there'll be a crowd and there'll be different interaction. I've seen drunk sinners go, "Oh yeah, you're going to hell. You believe in witchcraft." And I'm looking at Bubba and I'm going, "Dude, you're going to the same hell. You're a drunkard. You're having sex with this woman you're not married to." Now, does that mean that we don't, uh, you know, treat people differently? We should. We, You know, I'm going to talk to the drunkard a little bit differently than I'm going to talk to the one that, you know, affirms homosexuality, et cetera. We're going to tailor the message of God's word to them, but nonetheless, it's still God's word. How many believe God has a word for what's going on? And it's to hate evil and to love what is good. Do I hate the people? No, I love the people. God so loved the World. Was, the world, was the world behaving or misbehaving that he loved and came to? It was misbehaving. He misbehaved so much it crucified him. Amen? And how many know you don't crucify somebody you love? Now go on down here to verse 21 if he can't make it plainer because he says, you know what, you got to hate some stuff and love some stuff. Chapter 5 verse 21 says, I hate, I despise your what? Your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a what? A stench to me. I wonder what God would say today to us and a lot of what we're doing in the church world. Your conferences stink. Your radio stations, they stink. Your books, they stink. Your pastors, they stink. You know, come on. I would just be sitting there going, God, how can I get some BO and get clean and not stink? And I'm honestly trying to figure that out while we're going through this, not trying to be you know, high and mighty here, but I'm taking God serious. If there was a time that God said to his own people, I hate what you are doing here. I literally hate it. I have to be honest and say I am feeling some of that right now because I feel like the pulpits have become a place where people get to do anything other than preach the word of God. They exposed the sin of the pastor of Hillsongs, Carl Lentz, in New York. And once that got out, now they're saying there's other affairs that followed. But now there's this whole underneath thing that's really been there all along. And everybody's coming out exposing it that they took advantage of people, that they, uh, they brought in celebrities on, on chauffeured cars, but didn't pay their labors, and all of these things that are unjust. And then I think to myself, what did you expect? We were warning you. How many know we were warning of that mess? This superficial Christianity. And yet they get hurt and abused, and it hurts us. How many of, the, of you would be hurt if that was your friend or that person in that church? Babysitting the pastor's kids, not getting paid, being on staff, being told you have to work all these extra hours, and then being discriminated against or whatever they're saying. And then this is, this is what blows my mind. They said, we felt as homosexuals and bisexuals that we would be accepted and loved, and then they discriminated against us when we told, us, told them who we were. Well, that will not happen here. We'll tell you right off the bat, we do not accept the lifestyle of LGBTQ. What would you rather have, me pretend I'm cool with it, than you actually get discriminated against, or for me to say to you, that's not what we're down with. Some of you are like, Joe, both of those stink. No, one of them is right, trust me. One of them is right. I don't go to the mosque and go, are we having the pork barbecue here? Is this where we're doing the pork barbecue tonight? Okay, if not, let me just know if I can wiggle my way into the church, uh, to the, into the mosque, and then over time get you all to come to my barbecue. No, that's just donkey. You just know right at the beginning they don't want your barbecue. They love you. You can eat halal. You can come. You can get the falafel. You, you can get the shawarma. You can get all of that. But you're not coming with your pork. You're not doing that here. But now the Christian church is just come on in with your sin. We just welcome everybody, welcome home. Where, where did we get that from? I know well-intentioned people got it from the love messages of the scripture, but my friend, not every behavior is welcomed here. Let's start with one. You cannot murder somebody here, so that's not welcomed here. A murderer in their murder is not welcomed here. If you want to remain a murderer, you are not welcomed here. You're welcome to come and repent of your murder. If you want to practice homosexuality, this is not your home. This is a highway of holiness for those who want to practice purity. You can invite a homosexual here, as many have come, you may be sitting next to one of the transgendered homosexual lesbians that have gotten saved here through this kind of preaching, but you are not welcome to practice homosexuality here. You are welcome to come here if you were sleeping with a girl last night. You're welcome, if you're not married, you're welcome, you're not welcome to, you are not welcome to continue in it. If you want to be a part of this church, you have to make a decision. Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. That is it, my friends. So you go, well, man, I don't like this church. Well, guess what? There's 20 more you can join that are not like this church. How many know that? So if you're saying, I don't want a church like this, I want the kind of church that I can have barbecues with Muslims at the mosque. I want the kind of church where I can be a sinner with the saints. There's about two more right over here, one right over there. And they're online right now, but they'll get, they'll get offline in about two years, and you can go attend there. Because right here, some may say right here. We don't want God to hate our religious festivals. We want God to say, I am welcomed in this place. I want God to touch the angels and say, these are my people. I want Him to send the Holy Spirit down like fire and like a flood into our hearts and change our lives. I don't want Him to move away from us. I want Him to move close to us and embrace us. I want Him to be in our midst. This is a holy God. This is a holy God. I want him to be in our midst. And that's why our friends who are lesbians and homosexual, oh, they love this church. We have one in our first service. She was a a transgender boy taking the hormone, a girl trying to be a boy taking the hormones, cut her hair short and all of that. But she said, even when I went to the gay affirming churches, I felt no presence of God. She said, but when I came into this church, I felt the presence of God and that my sin was that which I also hated. That was what was destroying my soul. So when I loved Jesus more, I hated that more, and I got free to be who God made me to be. You say, I was born this way. Well, it's time to get born again. Amen? Well, we're going to pray the gay away. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to ask Jesus to change everything that's not right to make us a new creation. I'm not going to sit here and do uh, gay conversion therapy with you. It's one step to Jesus. Meet him and let him transform you and change you. And along that journey, just in case you're wanting, that includes me, if we do sin, look, let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. If we do sin, the Bible says there's grace and forgiveness for us, but we are taught not to sin. Amen? How many know there's a difference between someone sinning against you and then living a lifestyle of sin against you? If I come next to you and I accidentally bump into you and I go, oh, man, excuse me. How many of that's different than me pushing you down. <laughs> What am I doing to pushing? I have a I have a point to get you down, then beating you up. The the accidental or the the thing that I do that's uh, you know something I wish I didn't do. That's the heart that a Christian's supposed to have. Is even if I do sin, God, please forgive me. That's not my heart. That's not my intention. In other words, we never repent for our repentance. Every time I've ever repented for a sin, I really mean I never want to do that sin again. I am not coming back to that sin, flirting with it, going I wish I could do you all the time. How many know right now? I wish I could never sin again. Like, if I could hit a button, I would. Never Never sin again. I'll never sin again. And so while we're facing the battle of temptation, what do we do? We do what the Bible says Lead me not into temptation, but what? Deliver me. Who prays that prayer? Every one of us all the time. Every one of us. The one coming out of the homosexual lifestyle, the pornography lifestyle, the the self adorning lifestyle, the false religion lifestyle. We pray, Lord, lead me not into this temptation, but always deliver me out of evil. John said, I write this to you, that you will not sin. How is your preacher preaching? That you will not sin. What is my preaching today? That you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only ours, but for the sin of the world how many know grace is not an excuse to keep sinning but but an empowerment to live holy amen going back to the context I'll almost be done thank you for your patience look at chapter 6 verse 1 woe to you who are complacent in Zion and you who feel secure on Mount Samaria how many think right now that we've been waking up a little bit in our culture to our security That some people are a little shaken up. How many feel that? They're a little shaken a little scared, a little scared out there. But how many know they're not scared enough to come to Jesus yet? That's what I don't understand. And that's exactly what Jesus said was going on in that culture. You are scared to a degree, but you don't yet have a fear that motivates you to change your behavior. It's almost like when you deal with people of diet or habit and things like that. And I've been there and I can relate. I was massively overweight a few years ago. You could say to me, Joe, you understand high cholesterol, right? Yeah. You know blood pressure can affect you, right? Yeah. You know that you can get a heart attack, right? You understand you can die from about four or five things being 50 pounds overweight. Yeah, you underst- I understand that. So you understand it, Joe? Yeah, I understand it. Okay, what are you going to do about it? Go get another pizza? How many have lived like that before in some area of their life? Okay, you understand, this is going to harm you. This is going to do something harmful to you, and then we just keep doing it. The problem is, spiritually, it's even multiplied worse we're talking to many people, like you understand Jesus is coming back. Even our Catholic friends, friends that are nominal Christians that are gonna come online, I guess, to their Christmas service, and we call them priesters, Christmas and Easter. How many know they, they believe in some kind of Jesus coming back one day, some kind of heaven, some kind of hell? And they're watching all of this go on around them, and yet it's not making a change towards their spiritual journey. What is the reason of that? The numbness of the soul. Just like in the natural, we can become numb to the same old, same old, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. I get it. I'll deal with it later. We can become like that spiritually. But Jesus is telling us through Amos, the judgment is coming. Keep going. Chapter 7. In chapter 7, we meet a peculiar person in verse 10. His name is Amaziah. Look at verse 10 of chapter 7. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. Where were we told not to go? Bethel. So here comes the priest of Bethel, and he sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The Lord cannot bear all his words. Oh, my goodness. The priest who was supposed to be on the side of the prophet has now turned against him and is now tattletaling to the king. When we opened up here and started having services, after we gave the time to figure out what was going on in our nation, which I felt was wise, after that month, and we realized this thing was a low uh, death rate, a high survival rate, and pretty much the uh, you know the young were unaffected in, in major ways, unless they had you know preconditions. We had people who were Christians, supposedly from local churches, come underneath our posts and to the to the feeds that we were on, blaspheming what God was doing here. In the name of God. You call yourself Christians. You're not Christians. You're not, like, like I'm not a Christian, right? Oh, yeah, you're not a Christian. This isn't. They were blaspheming God to what? To win points with the mayor. Mayor, mayor, mayor. Metro Praise has opened up. Do something. Literally. Do something. The Belmont Cranken Neighborhood Association. Do something. Do something. Christians. I'm a Christian, and I just don't think it's right. I can't believe how they call themselves Christians. So for the, sake, for the sake of defending their own reputation, they threw a church under the bus so they could look like they were smart among their friends on a Facebook post. How do you think that's going to work out for them on Judgment Day when Jesus says, those are my people? What you're saying about them, you're saying about me. They came in my name. Paul even said, if you don't agree with everything a church or a ministry does, at least rejoice if the name of Christ is truly being preached. They didn't investigate our doctrine. They didn't look into our teaching. They simply went on a pet peeve of our culture and made a decision about our spirituality. And yet at the same time, they told us not to judge. Don't you know the people who say don't judge are judging the most? I feel like I'm living in the time of Amos. I got a priest tattletaling on me. Now look at what happens here. Amos tells his story. Verse 14 of chapter 7. He says, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock, and he said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Can I just give you a little bit of encouragement today? I was a high school dropout delivering pizzas. God called me to do this. I'm not here because of my own self. God did it. And he did it with Amos, and he's doing it with others. And there are some of you here going, man, I'm a plumber. I'm a nurse. I'm a police officer. I'm a salesperson. What in the world is going on? Listen, God has called you to be a prophet like Amos and to speak his word right now. And when people come against you and they say, what do you know about the Bible? What are you supposed to do? You know, pastors are doing X, Y, and Z. You know, why are you doing this? Who do you think you are? You can say, I'm just a voice speaking what God told me to speak. Amos said, I'm not a prophet in that way. I'm not even the son of a prophet. God just told me to speak these words. How many of you are willing to speak the words of God? Well, I'm sorry, I'm not a pastor, but I'll just tell you what the Bible says. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't go to Bible college, but I'm just reading what it says. And then you know what he said to those people back to them? This is, this, this is God's word now. Amos says, hey, I got a word from you, a word for you from God. Look at verse 12. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your wife's going to start tricking. <laughs> Seriously. She's going to be a hoe. She's going to be a prostitute. You want to talk about the Bible right here just rocking our worldview of nicianity? Is it nicianity, folks, or christianity? It's christianity. Now, can I be nice? Absolutely. But this prophet looks back at that priest, and they could marry as priests. By the way, they always could until the Roman Catholic Church got weird. This priest was married, and he looks at him, and he goes, You're coming against me? Let me tell you what God just told me to tell you. Your wife's about ready to leave you, and your children are going to die what happened to our communities? Men lost their place. Women became baby mamas and children are dying on our streets. Right there. Right there. Why? Because we weren't listening to the priest and the prophet. The real priest and the prophet. And now we've been handed over to broken families and broken homes and this is what it was like in the days of Amos. Is there hope for us? Yes, there is. But we got to get to the end. Somebody say the good news. Amen. Vinny, would you come please in closing. Chapter 9. Looking at verse 5, I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. The Bible says that he's going to make sure people are going to get judged. I'm keeping my eye on you, and it's not for good. You're in trouble. But you know what he says in verse 8 and onward, but I won't entirely destroy you. I will allow a remnant to be brought back to the land. It's good news, but it's kind of scary, isn't it? It's God won't forget about us as a church kind of news. But some of us may die in judgment. That's why, to be honest with you, I'm not saying that I'm a doctor and I know everything about COVID. I do sign up with the Barrington Declaration. You can read about that and those doctors who are on there. Also, Dr. John Ionis of the World Health Organization who's going counter the flow. He just did the most recent study on the actual fatality rate. I'm with those men. But listen to me. I'm not a doctor, but I knew something was up with this COVID thing when we were inside and all the rioters went outside. I just knew something was happening. I knew there was either an advantage being taken, like somebody was an opportunist, or there was something planned. Either way, I could tell that the enemy was up to something in this land. And I knew that if we didn't stand up as a church, that we would go right along with it into destruction. And I want you to hear my heart for this. A lot of people think that this is just going to pass and things will go back to normal. Can't we all just get along? Biden's president, and you know what? And we all had a hard election year, but it's okay. Now let's just go along. But what you don't understand is that's what they did when they took prayer out of schools. See, prayer going out of schools was when everybody thought it was just cool, you know? You know what? We don't got to pray in schools. They got kind of a point. They took prayer out and put metal detectors in over time, didn't they? It was the same thing with Roe v. Wade. Everything looked normal on the outside. Oh, we're just getting back to normal. Supreme Court decision just said you can murder your children. Not too big of a deal. Business as usual. Keep going. And I'm telling you, as the patterns have been in the past, not only in this nation, but in the Bible, the next decisions that will be coming against us as Christians will look more like China than we have ever imagined. All they have to do is start pushing the boundaries of what they consider hate speech, what they consider to be unsafe. And before you know it, I'm getting arrested and your friends are telling you, well, your pastor's crazy anyways. Come to my church. Because it's just the radicals that they're messing with. Come to my church, right? And then you're going to begin to see, well, on your business, you got to wear the Black Lives Matter fist. you got to wear the button for Black Lives Matter. You've got to wear the LGBT rainbow flag You've got to do that on Diversity Day, but your cross you can no longer wear. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. my pastor said it's okay if I don't wear my cross to the work and job anymore. And you don't have to agree with everybody, but just, you know, just show that you're getting along. I'm telling you. These are the things my pastors warned me of. And we're already at the place of some of their warnings already. Listen to David Wilkerson messages. Listen to Letter Ravenhill messages. Listen to messages of people preaching 50 years ago of what would happen if we would not wake up as a church. And so harm will come unless we are ready to live for Christ. The good news is here. He says in chapter 9, verse 11, But in that day I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls. I will restore its ruins and rebuild in it the way it used to be so that you may possess the remnant of Eden and all the the nations that bear my name. God says he's going to rebuild us and he's going to take care of us. But what did that look like in actual time? That looked like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego living in Babylon. And that's why those men went back to those prophets and they go, it is scary here, man. It is scary. If we don't bow, we are thrown into the fire. But I heard a word from Amos that God would be with us. Come on, Shadrach. Let's not bow down. Let's stand up. He'll be with us. He said he'll bring us back to the land. Even if I don't see it, my kids are going to see it. Could you imagine that? I mean, you're Daniel. Don't you pray, Daniel. Don't you pray. Don't you pray. And Daniel's like, what, what What? don't you want me to do? Don't you pray, Daniel. You don't want me to what? You don't want me to what? You don't want me to what? You don't want me to pray? No, no don't you do it, Daniel. Don't you do it. Don't you do In the name of the Father, I cry out to you now. Hallelujah. We're going to stand up for righteousness. So I wish that I could say that everything just goes back to normal and it's just easy breezy nice and easy from this point on but I believe that there will be more battles ahead of us and we have to be prepared. There were others that were not prepared for what has come upon us now but we do not lay down our sword. We stand and when we have done all that we can we keep standing and we fight the good fight of faith. Man, we don't give up. We remain faithful. And I see a lot of young people here. Come on, you remain faithful. I'm giving my life for this so that you have something called a church for your children. Stand with us, young people. Do not get discouraged. They may say you're this and that, but know who you are in Christ. Know who you are and who you belong to. Listen to the stories of Sadia, like I said, who came out of that transgender lifestyle and understand it's worth it for her. If I never saw one person out of that lifestyle saved except for her, it was worth me preaching it every day. But the last time I did a mental check, we have close to 25 to 30 people here out of the LGBTQ lifestyle. And they wouldn't trade it for anything. They say, keep on preaching, Pastor. I was suicidal. I needed Jesus. I was broken from my past. I needed Jesus. I was confused. Keep preaching. We've seen gang members get saved. We've seen the wealthy get saved. And they say, Pastor, keep preaching. We've seen people come from churches that have turned their doctrine into pleasing men and tickling ears, and they say, keep preaching. And so I say it now back to you. Keep preaching. Keep preaching. Yeah, judgment may be coming. It may be hard. But God says we're going to be blessed in the end. He will take care of us. He will watch out for us. Amen. If you believe it, can you give it up for Jesus today? That's our king. He's still speaking. Amen altar workers and band would you come we're going to close out in prayer we're going to worship at the end here you can come forward at any time but let me just dismiss us Father I thank you today for this word I thank you that you've called us here to live for you and to know you if you're in this service today and you don't know Jesus personally Jesus wants to know you right now he's calling you out he wants to get to know you personally and let you know that he knows you Return to God right now with repentance. That's what repentance means, returning. He's your creator. He loves you. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. You died on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins and live for him today. We'll help you in that journey, but right now where you're at, if that's you, start praying. If you've come here today and you're not right with God, you've been in the world and out of the world, back and forth, back and forth, make a decision to go all in today. And those of us here who have said, I've sold out for Jesus, would you raise up your hands with me right now and say, Lord, I'm going to hate which is evil and love that which is good. God, give me strength to hate what you hate and to love what you love. Oh, God, make us a congregation that hates what you hate and loves what you love. A few moments before we leave, no one leaving out here the same way. Help us, God, to love people even though we hate sin and we hate what a lot of people are doing in our culture and community right now. Help us to love what you love and hate what you hate. Oh, come on. I love our mayor as a creation of God and I want to see her saved, but I hate her lifestyle. I hate her wicked mindset, but I want to see her saved. I love our governor, but I hate how he thinks about things. I want him to repent of his wickedness. Come on, can you do that for just three people right now? I love Oprah Winfrey. I love Ellen. But I don't like their lifestyles. I don't like their doctrines. I don't like their beliefs. And we're not going to force anything, right? We're not forcing it. We're just praying that they'll get the, the same awakening that we did. A few moments right now. If you need prayer, you can already come up. But just, we'll dismiss in a second. But come on, let's pray for somebody. I may not like what they're doing, but I love them. I love them. Jesus, help me to love more of what you love and hate what you hate. Oh, God, I love Biden and Kamala Harris, but I hate what they stand for in politics, oh, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray for change to this nation. I love the fellow pastors that I know around the city, so many of them. I've got the chance to meet, Lord. I love them, but I hate their compromise. I hate their weakness on the things of God, their cowardice. In the name of Jesus, have you prayed? Are you going to do it today in the name of Jesus? Are you going to live like the prophets live? Are you going to preach what they preached? Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Then if that's you, I'm going to do it. God bless you. You may stand up, dismiss, be dismissed. Have a wonderful day. We're going to start worshiping again. We call this the after party. If you want to hang out, feel free to come.